Welcome to Narrative Responsibility, a podcast about examining the meta story of your life, how well it is serving you, and how to change it for the better. I'm Elena Wolf, relationship coach and life alignment mentor, and this is this week's new perspective. Hi there! I'm so glad you're here today. This is episode seven the nonlinear nature of time. Or, if you want to be really pedantic about it, the nonlinear nature of the human psychological experience of time. Time and how we experience it is, in fact, kind of a huge topic. I had recorded this episode before, and it was absolutely unhinged rant about literally three podcasts worth of things that I tried to shove together. And listening back, I realized that was not going to work. It was really funny because it came with its own Charlie Day conspiracy board whiteboard picture. But as much as I like to bring the lols, I'm not really here to be funny. I'm here to help you understand the world in a different way and take away some actionable steps from the reframes that I offer. So for today, what I want to focus on is a framework of understanding our psychological relationship to time that basically makes it a simultaneous experience of past, present, and future all converged into one, into the present moment, because we as we are in this moment has a relationship to each of those timelines to each of those aspects of time relative to where we are now what i'm going to do is offer you the high level summary of this framework then set up a little bit of establishing context and then work back layer by layer through the framework to hopefully help you understand it a little better and get a little more of an invite of an embodied sense of what I mean. So this big idea of simultaneous time is essentially that right now in this moment, the you who is listening to this, you have a past and the conditions of your current life, your mindset, your understanding of the world, your beliefs about it, your physical circumstances, that set of circumstances that you're in right now and on on all of those different levels, was created by choices that your past self made. So your present moment is defined by your past. And you, as you are right now, is creating the future that your future self is going to experience. You are creating the conditions and circumstances of belief, of mindset, of physical world resources that your future self is going to have. And your future self is going to, at some point, be looking back on their past self that is you in this current moment and redefining the experience of this current moment based on their perspective a little bit further or a lot further down the road and what they have experienced as a result of of this moment, what they have learned and what they know that you don't know. And right now, All of those things for you are happening simultaneously. Your current self is a revenant of the past. You are the culmination of 
your past experiences and the beliefs and interpretive lenses that they created in your subconscious mind. And you are also the God architect of your future. You are making choices that will define what your future self has to work with. And right now, your future self is looking back at you in this moment. Let's give them a wave. Hi, future self. Hope you're proud of us. They're looking back right now and they are casting a meta narrative that you can't know. I can't know. Nobody in this current moment gets to know. We can predict, we can imagine, we can hope for. Yes, but do we get to know what's going to happen in the future? No. So obviously, there's a lot to unpack there. And first, <laughs> and first, as I promised, I want to clarify the human experience of time a little bit more because, spoiler alert, it's complicated. Probably the way you think about time, the way most of us think about time, is the way we're taught about time. That time is linear. Time happens sequentially. And as humans, our physical bodies do experience time in that linear sequential way. We are born, we live for however many thousands or tens of thousands of days, and then we die. It is a straight line that only lasts so long. And because humans keep records and we have these ab abstract concepts like calendars and seasons and years and history and also, you know, non-abstract concepts like carbon dating. <laughs> Some of it's physical too. You know, we can see how long human cultures have existed. We know how long our current political systems, for example, have existed. We know how long our physical self has existed. And if time, if this linear time is in fact a delusion, it is a mass delusion that we all share and buy into and can measure in the same sorts of ways. So probably we can put at least a little bit of faith in, in time to be linear in a strictly physical sense. But humans are not strictly physical beings. This isn't even going to get into the metaphysics. That comes next time. <laughs> okay. This is just the weirdness of consciousness itself because our conscious mind, our experience of aliveness has this cool feature where all it has is now. It's just this endless present moment. Now is all there, there, there is. Really, the past didn't necessarily happen just because we have memories of it. Did it really? Was it there? Or did we just get dropped into this present moment as if that had all happened? And tomorrow never really comes, does it? Because we wake up and it still feels like now. We went to sleep and our calendar says it's the next day, but to us, it's just this eternal now. All that's real to our conscious experience is now. And then in terms of our cognitive development, we experience time more like a spiral where something happens and we have to process it. And then something similar will happen again. 
And we're going to show either that we learned lessons and we sort of see the situation differently, or we get another chance to go through it again until we learn. Inevitably in life, a similar situation will come back around another time and another time and another time. And with every pass of this spiral, we're going to have a different perspective because we're going to have more maturity and more seasoning. We're going to have a broader range of experience to be able to put this particular event or um, challenge, quote, into context or into perspective. What does that mean? That means that we don't experience it the same way that we did the first time because now we have some knowledge and some understanding of it. A specific example I think that we can probably all relate to is having our heart broken with a romance that doesn't end well. The first time it happens for most of us, it's going to be what, back in junior high or high school, it's going to be really devastating and it's going to feel like the end of the world. And you're not really sure how you can go on from that tragedy. You're going to really, really relate to that Romeo and Juliet play. But most people get through it and try again. And the next time it happens, it still sucks. I mean, I think every time it happens, it sucks. Let's be real. It's, it's hard. It's never fun to get your heart broken or, or to be disappointed in that way. But you know, because you survived it the first time, that you're going to survive it this time. And it may not actually be as bad because you have that perspective. You know that, in fact, your heart will mend and you're going to meet somebody that makes you glad that that other one didn't work. So we have that spiral process by which we come back around to situations that we've been in before and we look at differently as a result of having more experience and more exposure. And, you know, sometimes there's also developmental aspects where we have more emotional regulation, for example. And so we are able to control our responses and actions in the situation to give it a, a different outcome or even to change our own feelings about it while we're experiencing it to realize, oh, okay, maybe I was making it more of a, of a big thing than it needed to be or something like that. Then on an emotional level, time can actually be asynchronous. It can be frozen or paused and then we can hit play and experience it as if no time had passed, even if in a physical linear sense, or sometimes even a developmental sense, time has passed. There's a couple different ways this can happen, some of them more positive and some of them more negative. We can have a sort of somatic or sensory flashback to another time and place. This is gonna be something like smelling a particular scent or having a particular taste that you only maybe had in, in one time and, and place, or maybe it was something that repeated over time, but was specific to this period of your life. The particular scent of your grandmother's perfume or, or the particular smell of the library at your university or something like that or things like songs or films or TV shows that are strongly associated with one particular time in your life can do it. Objects can do it. Maybe clothing that you used to wear, a piece of jewelry that you wore every day for you know, your entire freshman year or something like that. So those 
physical reminders can, can bring you back emotionally as if you were there again, as if time had not passed. Those emotions are timeless. This can also happen in a more trauma-driven way. I mean, literally the word triggering is a reference to falling into an emotional flashback to another time and place. And sometimes it comes with audiovisual flashbacks and sometimes it's simply the emotional where all of the feelings about that situation are back and they feel real and they feel like they belong to the present moment. They feel like they were caused by the present moment, but in fact, they can be from the past, maybe even decades behind you, but to your emotional self, they're still right there and they're still real and present and happening right now. Finally, Again, our psychological relationship with time is that simultaneous or multi-track kind of blended time where the past and the present and the future are all entangled. Let's get into the three strands of this concept and how to use understanding them a little better for your own growth. And again, this is the past creates the present the present creates the future and the future recreates or redefines the past. The last is probably the easiest to understand and apply. It's how our future self redefines its past experiences, which might also be our past experiences or might be our present experience. My favorite quote about this, and it's, it's actually kind of a snarky quote, but it's still fabulous, is from the movie Lucky Number Slevin. Yesterday, you were lucky. Today, you were unlucky. You were better off yesterday than you are today, but it took today for you to know it, and now it's too late. Basically, the meta-narrative that we put onto our experience later changes how we feel about the experience that, it changes how we feel about the experience. And sometimes the meta-narrative that we're using in the moment changes how we feel about the experience as we're having it. I got into this with episode two, what genre are you living in? And the idea of asking my friend, well, was it worth it? And she's saying, I don't know yet because I don't have the outcome. And, you know, then also using that framework of genre to help redefine the meta narrative that you have about your life as you're experiencing it. But going, going with this idea of looking backward at the past. We're not, we're not concerned about the present right now. We're looking, we're concerned about looking backward. A retrospective view can change our whole perception of something. Let's stick with the heartbreak example and talk about failed relationships. Say you have a failed relationship and say you go and learn about dysfunctional patterns of relating after you are out of that relationship. So maybe you came out of that relationship with a chip on your shoulder and a sense, oh my God, they were so wrong. They did me dirty. But you go and study and you do some genuine, honest self-reflection and you, and maybe that story changes to, we both made mistakes and I can see how I contributed. Sure, they made mistakes too, but so did I. It's a much more balanced view, right? Or maybe you came out of that relationship blaming yourself and 
feeling really guilty and ashamed that you had made mistakes and the, f the failure of that relationship was all your fault. And again, you go and study and maybe you come away from your study realizing, oh, we both made mistakes and I can see how they were not holding up their side of that relationship. It wasn't only my fault that it failed. And again, you know, I think we can relate to the experience of having an end, however bitter or however unwanted, eventually come back around into, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that that happened because, you know, what is it? What is it that you met somebody, you know, even more amazing and better suited? Is it that you realize all of the ways you were holding yourself back in order to be in that relationship? Was it that it gave you a reason to focus on your career or your art or your friendships or other relationships in a way that maybe you wouldn't have and something amazing grew out of having that time to focus on other things. Maybe you gave that focus to yourself and your healing. There's so many things that can come about as a result of even a negative experience that in retrospect, we look back at and I mean, we might say, okay, I would still love to not experience something that painful again, but we can't see it as a blanket negative, maybe the way that we did while it was happening. So getting more of the story helps. Getting more information helps. Sometimes it's also about the, the narrative casting, right? The editing the story for the relevant details, and maybe that makes certain points in your past either more or less relevant than you had thought at one point. I'm going to change to a different example here. So, you know, y'all don't think that everything I'm ever going to use as an example of this has to do with, <laughs> with heartbreaks and relationships. So say you grew up and you got a lot of feedback about being different or weird or unusual or not like the people around you. And Maybe that made you feel bad about yourself. Maybe it made you believe that people didn't like you or that there was something wrong with you or that there was something about yourself that you needed to change or to hide in order to be accepted or acceptable to others. Well, what happens if you're an adult and you get a diagnosis of something like ADHD or autism? Does that change how you view those, that, that feedback that you got and the actions that you must have been taking that elicited that feedback? Or maybe it's not something clinical, but you learn about giftedness or personality types and you learn that, oh, I'm actually really statistically rare. And of course I got that kind of feedback because statistically nobody in that situation would have met someone else like me. How could they how could they fail to give me that feedback because it was accurate? So when you have a different frame or different meta narrative about what had happened back then, maybe that changes the feelings that you have. Maybe instead of feeling bad about yourself or ashamed of what you were, you just sort of feel sad that you weren't understood or that the people trying to tell you, you know, how different you were didn't convey it in a way that made you understand what they meant. The information that's relevant to the narrative, I had a lonely but uneventful childhood 
is really different from the information that's relevant to, I had this undiagnosed neurodivergence or the relevant information for the narrative that I was a gifted child expressing those traits and no one was helping me understand what that meant. So your future self has more information than your current self about how things play out and what is relevant to the story that they hold as opposed to what's relevant to the story that you hold. The second point is also pretty straightforward that you, the current you in the present moment is building resource for your future self. So the mindset that you choose, the skills that you decide to learn and develop, the knowledge that you gain, the experiences that you have or don't have, the material world stuff as well. I mean, debts or surplus that you accrue and the way you take care of your body or run it into the ground, the type of work you do, the type of home that you have, the, the way you set it up or don't. Like all of those, all of those, both sort of mental, cognitive, emotional, and also physical, tangible world choices create the conditions that your future self is going to experience and going to have to cope with. And this is exactly what your past self did for your current self. You are where you are because of what your past self did. Our actions have consequences. And one of the sad aspects of reality is that the self who took the action isn't always the self who has to deal with the consequences. An obvious example here is somebody who maybe parties really hard and struggles with with substance addictions in their 20s and then ends up with damage to some of their body systems, even though they get clean, even though they stay clean forever after their body took damage that they have to live with. And the person, you know, 20 years later, who's actually really suffering the effects of that system damage is not the same person who was doing the drugs or, or addicted to alcohol or whatever the substance was. This reminds me of a couple statements that I see pop up in the healing world that I really like. The first is, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And the second, you can't change the past, but you can always change the future. And I feel like both of these speak to this idea, right? Where the the circumstances that you're dealing with may or may not have been set up by you. You couldn't control when you were born in what culture, to what family, what they taught you, both explicitly or implicitly. You, as you are now, cannot undo the actions of your past self. All you can do is accept the current conditions and decide what you're going to do for your future self. I want you to look back kindly on your past self because they did the best they could. And we can acknowledge that maybe they left you holding the bag on something. Maybe they set up your current self for a lot of pain. And maybe it feels like it's stuff that could have been avoided if only your past self had had known X or been taught Y or, or seen Z for what it was. So this is an example of retrospection and your future self looking back at the past in an unproductive way because that kind of musing is not helpful. It's not shedding light on the circumstances. It's not helping 
your current self to have a better story about the past. It's only, it's making you resent the situation that you're in and want to blame or shame or villainize your past self. Don't do that. You did the best you could with what you had. Now you're learning better. Now you can choose. That's empowerment. That is having informed consent to your life. You can build a different set of circumstances for your future self. And your future self can look back on this moment and all of the choices that you take from here to build those better circumstances for them and feel grateful. They'll thank you. Maybe you can even feel that gratitude coming from your future self right at you right now in this moment. Hmm. That feels good. And if you are in a position where you're actively in pain and actively wanting to heal because you can't stand the current circumstances that you're in, I want to acknowledge that it sucks that the healing you're going to do and the changes you're going to make aren't really for you. They're not for you as you are right now. The person that you are right now in this moment, the one who's hurting and longing for a change, isn't going to be the one who gets to enjoy the change. By the time you get there, by the time that change is enacted, you as you are right now won't exist anymore. It'll be a new you. You'll be able to feel grateful, but that new you probably won't need the pain relief the way that you do right now in this moment. And that is the worst part about healing and change. It rarely creates an in-the-moment relief from the pain that makes you want to change in the first place. And that's why it is so easy to take the path of just numbing out, whether that's dissociating from your body, whether that's staying too busy to notice that you're hurting, whether that's using some kind of substance to dull your awareness or using some something like media, you know, whether it's scrolling or or binging to distract you and to be somewhere and someone besides you in this moment. I have been there. I know. I, I get it. <laughs> and I know how hard it is to want to make a change purely on faith, but that's what you have to do. You commit to changing on faith and you stick with the change process basically as a principle because it's not necessarily going to be giving you an immediate return. It's a gift to your future self and it's you choosing yourself. It's you deciding that you don't want to just default to the trajectory that your past put you onto, whether we're talking, you know, the, the trajectory that your family and culture put you onto or that your own past self's choices put you onto. Now, as to the reason you, you as you are in this moment, is not the one who's going to feel the change, that's the third part. The fact that the past defines the present moment. And it relates to how our past self built our beliefs to begin with. We learn by experience. So we learn by what we experience, what we observe, the patterns that we see around us, and the interpretations that we are given 
or that we make about our experiences, both direct and observed. All of those pieces of information create our expectations for life, for reality, for relationships. They create beliefs that are below our conscious awareness, but influence what we do and how we perceive reality. This is our subconscious mind. So welcome to the Thunderdome. Let's go back to our lonely weirdo story, right? Maybe the experiences that they had as a child, being othered, being told they were strange, maybe that created beliefs that they'd be rejected or unwanted by other people. And so when they get to be an adult and someone in their life is kind or seems interested in them or what they're doing, they don't trust it. They assume because they have this subconscious belief that other people don't want me that this seeming kindness must be some kind of manipulation, or maybe it's duty or something, but it's not really sincere. It's not really an expression of interest or caring that the other person actually means. So they reject social overtures and maybe miss opportunities to network or to have a date or to make friends because of this belief they have that they're unwanted that belief basically does not allow them to see those possibilities in a positive way. They literally interpret those possibilities to be something else. They interpret them as not even existing or as being false. It's a, it's a door that, that has a wall behind it. Hopefully this hypothetical, you know, lonely, unwanted weirdo finds some fellow weirdos at some point who can accept them and in fact, accept them so aggressively and make them feel so welcome that they actually can begin to believe that, oh, well, these people at least want me. These people like me, that they can really trust it and absorb it. But it might take a while, it might take months, it might take years. It takes a long time to get, especially if you're not actively working on your subconscious beliefs, which whole other thing to talk about and we're not going to do it today but if you're just kind of experientially taking this stuff in it can take a lot of repeated reassurances which contradict that I'm unwanted belief until that belief can fade and be replaced by an expectation that my friends want me and accept me as I am and the whole time that person is in the process of replacing the belief they're experiencing the kindness and acceptance from their friends through the lens of that disbelief that they could be wanted. And so they're probably going to be wary. They're going to not really feel able to relax into the experience and fully trust it because their emotional belief, the interpretive lens through which they are experiencing their own life, the meta narrative that they have is that I'm unwanted. Eventually, that old belief will be replaced and they will have an expectation that at least with their friends, and maybe it can broaden and, and be in general, that they are wanted and appreciated. But that old narrative from before is telling them how they feel in the present moment. It's defining their present moment experience because the new narrative, the new belief has not yet taken hold. 
yo, those old belief patterns are insidious. And we all have them about so many things. And not all of them are bad. Not all of them are wrong. Not all of them limit us. Some of our beliefs can be positive and can be can lead us toward more openness and more connection and more curiosity. So I don't want to villainize this structure of having inner narratives and emotional beliefs. They're lenses of understanding in a complex world that if we if we couldn't narrow down this the scope of what we need to pay attention to, there would be too much information. We couldn't process it. We couldn't have any kind of coherence at all. That signal to noise ratio. It's not good if we don't have some kind of narrative or some kind of belief structure. But it has to be a good narrative <laughs> and a good belief structure. So I just I want you I just say all of this so that you can understand how and why who you are in this present moment is subject to the conditions of your past experiences and your past self. And that's why you, the one in this moment who wants to change some of these beliefs, is not the one who gets to go into the future and enjoy not having these beliefs. The self who gets to enjoy not having those beliefs is the self who comes into being as a result of the work that you're doing right now. So when you put it that way, you are the future self to your old past. You are redefining that story and your part in it and taking control of it to change it for another future self who can actually enjoy a new belief paradigm. And oh my God, you're amazing for doing that work. I am so proud of you because it's hard. So let's just, again, drop that high level frame summary one more time here at the end, just so it's kind of the last thing that you take away from this podcast today. Your past self built your present moment experience, but your present self is building your future experience and your future self will change the past by changing the narrative. Next time we'll get into time travel and how we can do it for the sake of healing. And that is it for today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. If you want to know more about my work, you can check out thepatternbreaker.com or you can follow me on Instagram at thepatternbreaker. Don't forget to keep an eye out for my whiteboard conspiracy picture for the lols. And until next time, what part of your story are you going to take responsibility for? Mm-hmm.